Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. In the shadowed recesses of our world, monsters lurk. Despite our reluctance to find them, an unlucky few cross paths. It's these experiences that we explore at Monsters Among Us podcast. My name is Derek Hayes. Each week I explore calls from around the world detailing chilling encounters with mystery beasts, ghosts, UFOs, and a plethora of other strange happenings. You can find Monsters Among Us podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcatchers. Greetings, comrades. I want to talk about lies today. You see, there is this wonderful invention out there. It's called the polygraph, uh, also more widely known as the lie detector. It was invented in 1921 by John Augustus Larson, who apparently was a medical student at the University of California, Berkeley, and he happened to serve as a police officer there as well. Now, of course, in the modern day, there is much debate about its usefulness, For example, it's not admitted as evidence in the vast majority of modern court systems and is ridiculously unreliable. For example, like I learned on my friend's show of Rumor Flies and Mad Scientist podcast, if you have any blood pressure issues and are taking medication for that, then the machine simply will not work on you. And also, there are insanely numerous ways of just cheating it. But, at the time of its invention, and for a long while after that, it was thought to be a wondrous invention, truly a machine of marvels. Just attach a few wires to a person and figure out if he or she is talking the truth. And you know, it would seem that KGB and other uh, so-called responsible officers in the Soviet Union would decide to use this machine for determining the truth. And it surprised me a bit, because it was never used in the USSR. And yeah, this came up during the research for this episode. Uh, 
Could they have built one? Hmm, of course. In the worst case, KGB or GRU or one of the other 15 intelligence services of the communist government just could have stolen it and made a neat copy for themselves. But they never did. Why? Well, because in this particular system, such a machine was completely useless. And uh, I'll use an example from, from the book of uh, Spycraft by Viktor Svorov here. See, you can take a compass and see that it will point due north. But once you reach the magnetic north pole, this compass becomes useless as it just keeps spinning around and won't show any direction whatsoever. Similar situation was in the USSR and telling lies. Everyone lied in the Soviet Union. The general secretary lied from his podium, the news moderator from the TV screen, and so did the teacher in your history class. The newspaper Pravda ironically named the truth, lied, and the communist agitators lied in various lectures they held around the country. And the leader of your battalion lied about the plans, and you lied to the director of your kolkhoz or factory. So, it was useless because everyone lied. And now, now, just imagine that, you know, you grab a random person, a random military person who's trying to apply for entry in the faculty of military intelligence, and that this polygraph actually really works. And you ask him, well... Do you really believe in communism? And he answers that yes, indeed, he does. And the polygraph shows that he's not lying, that it's true. Now, what would you, the exam person, would be supposed to do in this case? Except, well, to shrug and quietly question yourself by asking, and how the hell did this idiot even manage to get here? See, by the end of the Stalinist era, it was clear for everyone, including the upper echelons in the Soviet Union, that a normal person simply cannot believe in communism. The leading principle of that system is, as we all know, from everyone according to their capabilities to everyone according to their needs. Or, you know, translated, everyone works as much as they want and get as much as they want too. And obviously this is impossible. <laughs> Just allow, for example, my lovely wife Alice to get as much stuff as she wants, and the whole Latvian economy will get ruined. Now, before the more left-inclined people start yelling at me, yes, I know, this is not how social democracy works. But that is why social democracy was outlawed in the USSR, and those who supported it, namely the Mensheviks, the Essers, were among the first to be killed during the repressions. Soviet Union officially was radically Marxist. But yeah, communism simply can't work. And the nice people who worked in the secret service and the upper echelons of the party, they knew that. They knew that only a complete idiot could honestly believe these ideals, and there was no place for idiots in the secret services of the Soviet Union. But at the same time, if someone would answer honestly that he couldn't give a damn about the communist ideals, well, you couldn't take him in either. He's too much of a freethinker. Might not obey orders, as obviously you're not supposed to state your mind openly, and it will look bad on the official papers. And what about the polygraph? What if it showed that he lied when saying that he believes in communism? Well, even though his examiner doesn't believe in communism either, even though the Communist Party Central Committee doesn't because they're not dumb, well, what then? And what would happen if this polygraph would be then turned over and used against the Central Committee of the Communist Party? Well, only a disaster could happen. Therefore, torture, beatings and humiliation, totally legit and works. But a lie detector? Well, never. Such capitalist technology could only bring ruin to the glorious Soviet state. 
And why did the Soviet state learn to game the system in such a way? Well, because the comrade Stalin was a communist fanatic, but he also managed to lie insanely lots, which we shall see in this episode, as in 1905, let me remind you that he is still technically running the socially democratic party of, uh, of, the, so- of the Russian Federation. He is still playing friends with social democrats, but we shall see cracks appear. Because at one point, Stalin decided to run the country in the straight way, doing crazy things for the Bolsheviks against the Mensheviks. This didn't end up well, as this led to numerous previously fanatical Bolsheviks defecting to the Western powers, including some people who used to work in Stalin's own secret services. Which will happen a bit later, but we'll get to that eventually. As it turns out, a completely ingenious mind, coupled with a zealous belief in the revolution, which is also completely devoid of any moral barriers, is a truly terrifying thing. So yeah, be wary of the Soviet lies, and uh, hold Soviet attitude to lying while listening to this episode. Because again, this just is symptomatic of uh, what we will see later on. Because again, uh, one thing that popped up in my research was the fact that the United States of America, for example, vastly overestimated the Soviet agrarian capabilities of feeding their own country. Because the CIA apparently used to take the official party data and made their decisions based on that. Even though the official data, together with all the newspapers and every other readily available data, consisted of nothing but lies for the people and for the Western agencies. Oh, and I do have to mention here that uh, similar problems uh, similar problems arise when you try to take a look at quite a few Western historian works. And, you know, some of these people, again, continue to disappoint me by just taking everything at face value by taking all these writings at face value, and later on... Later on, these people will also be taking whatever Stalin wrote at face value. Sadly, we are not here to tell you the history is told by the USSR leaders to make them look look good because they can tell whatever they want and no one will fact-check this anyway. We like to do the history which is fact-check. And, you know, this is why I ran into a lot of issues while uh, researching all this stuff. But it's still hard to find out what exactly happened with all these politically adjusted histories. It's kind of crazy. But, again, the more we learn about the Soviet government and the more I myself make these episodes understand that that system was completely unlike something that you would call a rational agent today. Well, on the administrative level, at least. At the beginning, yeah, they really, really did believe these communist ideals, but starting with the revolution of 1905, yeah. Here, we shall see exactly how Stalin turns and starts building up his empire of lies, and, you know, how slowly all his previous allies start to get dealt with accordingly. Thankfully, on the not what what Stalin did on 1905 itself, well, we have some quite reliable stuff going on here because again, the Soviet obsession with actually documenting everything, even though the trustworthiness of most of this stuff is reliable, but you know, at least we should believe people when 
they're writing propaganda for what Stalin did. And some of this, some of this stuff really will show exactly what Stalin was thinking and how all this will later play on in the Great Purges. So let's get on, shall we? So, in 1905, Stalin started his work within this whole revolutionary system already in the January the 1st. At this time, in the newspaper Fight of the Proletariat, number 8, uh, by the way, the Stalin's article, Class of the Proletariat and the Party of the Proletariat, is published. And an excerpt from that article reads, <clears throat> The army of the proletariat has arrived on the battlefield. And as every army needs a leading squad in the front, so does this army. And thus, it was necessary for one to appear. Out of here comes the appearance of the proletariat leaders, Russian Social Democratic Workers' Party. Notice how it's still social democratic. Like the leading squad in the front, this party, first and foremost, must be armed with its program, its tactics and organizational principles, and secondly, must have a tight organization within. In the 8th of January, a declaration written by Stalin in context with the loss of Tsar in the Far East in the Japanese-Russian War is published. It's called Workers of Caucasus. It's time to have vengeance. And yeah, he's still pushing on his violent uprising idea even further. He writes, <clears throat> Russian revolution is inevitable. It is just as inevitable as you cannot stop the rising sun. Can you stop the rising sun? So he does all this publishing stuff on and just becomes more and more aggressive in his writings. In the beginning of February, Stalin gets to do one of his favorite things, organizing more practical violence, although this time it might actually be for some noble goals. See, in Baku, he creates a <clears throat> armed militia of the local organization of the Social Democratic Party so that he could stop the Azerbaijan-Armenian Massacre. Oh, and yes, this Azerbaijani-Armenian Massacre is connected with the Gornoy-Karabakh region today, and it's still complex, and, and, and in short, they, they don't like, like each other today as much as well. But in the whole, in the whole kind of group of events around 1905, which we discussed earlier in the Lenin series, this was a kind of a major turning point because, you know, these peoples really started to, started to fight over basically a place uh, under the sun in these mountains. And according to the memories of Mukhtar Gajiyev, <clears throat> in Balahanakhs, in, in the time of this Armenian Tatar massacre, we, five comrades, in some way, acquired guns. And we basically gathered around the Armenian district, and uh, and under the orders of Comrade Stalin, we were supposed to stop the massacre happening here. Yes, this comes from official sources, and I directly, directly translated this. Now, I have zero idea how exactly five friendly comrades can acquire guns somehow... Because he literally says, well, we somehow did this, and it's like, five guys with guns try to stop the massacre. Well, that's fun. Uh, but another another participant of these events writes that <clears throat> Stalin gave the orders to the armed militia 
to steal the typographic font, you know, the actual, actual lead letters with whom the writing was created. So we, 15 people, basically did this and, you know, took, took the shrift, the font to, uh, to basically an armed fortress. So in February, Stalin somehow manages to give guns to five people so that they could stop the massacre. And at the same time, 15 people robbed the stores so that they could publish more illegal newspapers. Well, that's pretty fun. Anyhow, further on in the same year, on the 13th of February, after he's doing these things, doing these things um, in this anti-massacre operation, which kind of involves just a little robbery on the side, Stalin arrives in Tbilisi and and organizes another thing that he loves. He organizes a huge demonstration, a huge protest, and right next to uh, to the to the cloister of Vansky, where basically Armenians, Georgians, Azerbaijanis, Russians, and you know all sorts of nationalities are are, are basically participating in, and apparently a couple of thousand people participated in this situation. And again, the official goals, as stated by Stalin himself, of this demonstration is to stop any international massacre in Tbilisi. In this protest, a Stalinist proclamation is being spread around, and this proclamation is all about the events in Baku. It is called, Long Live the International Brotherhood, and it has been just printed in the the typography of the Tbilisi's Committee of the Social Democratic Party, and its run is 3,000 copies. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> Quite possibly that it's being printed on the same same kind of typography equipment that Stalin basically just, uh, you know, confis- liberated, I'm sorry, liberated. Anyway, <clears throat> this proclamation reads, Cries of the dying Armenians and Tartars in Baku, tears of wives, mothers, daughters, blood, innocent blood of honest but sadly unwitting citizens, scared faces of refugees, Innocent people who are trying to save themselves from death. Destroyed homes, robbed and marauded stores and storehouses, and scary constant hole of flying bullets. This is what the Tsar, murderer of honest people, is using to strengthen his throne. Which is all obviously pretty much fun and games. Two days later, after, you know, this very successful multi, many, multi-thousand, very numerous demonstration, uh, against the attempts of the Tsarist administration uh, to kind of uh, provoke the massacre in Tbilisi, as now it's kind of shifted, now that the massacre isn't happening on its own between these people, but right now they're blaming the Tsar for it. Stalin again writes another nice paper. This time it's called, <clears throat> To Citizens, Long Live the Red Banner. And this time it says, <clears throat> Do you want to dest- do you want to destroy all sorts of national hatred? Do you want to acquire complete solidarity of nations? So know, citizens, that only with the elimination of inequality, only with the destruction of capitalism, can all such national hatred be destroyed as well. The celebration of socialism, that is what we must achieve at the end, and that is what we are struggling for. Proletariat, and only proletariat are these people who can conquer the world and acquire peace and freedom for you. So, gather around the proletariat 
and stand under the signs of social democracy, under the red signs, citizens. So yeah, at this at this point, at this point, Stalin, as we've noticed, is still well, pretty much a social democrat, even though he has Bolshevist leanings, obviously, but but uh, he's still doing all this in the name of social democracy, or what he calls social democracy, that is. See, March and April of 1905 is basically the moment where the real split begins. Well, this this split, which has happened before, right now, gets even deeper and deeper. The Social Democratic Party, especially in the Caucasus, is splitting apart, and this is one of the biggest stepping stones to the point of them splitting up in two parties, in the Bolshevik Party and the Menshevik Party. Stalin is, of course, appearing to speak for the Bolsheviks, especially in a huge discussion meeting in Batumi, where he speaks against the Menshevik leaders, which are at this point Ramishvili and Arsenidze. Arsenidze, who will uh, not survive these events. In the 14th and the 15th of April, the Menshevik uh, All-Caucasus Confederation basically states that they no longer trust the Caucasus United Committee of the Social Democratic Party, because this committee by now is all Bolsheviks. And they pick their own Caucasus Bureau of the Social Democratic Party, so right now we have already two bureaus running there, one Bolshevik, one Menshevik. And obviously these two groups right now, which are both positioning themselves as the legitimate social democratic party, but they'll change their name pretty soon, they start struggling between each other about who shall have more influence on the masses, and this shall soon turn into a bloody battle. In the 18th of April, Stalin decides to go to Kutaisi, hey, his old prison, prison town, but in the middle of the road, basically, he, for some reason, again, a lot of things here, even the historical sources happen for, mm, for some reason, and that's basically what's written there, he decides to visit his mom. What a nice man Stalin is. So he basically stops in Gori for a while, which turns out quite well for him, because in the 19th or 20th of April, the sources differ here, there is a visit of the police during the during the local gathering of the local social democratic organization in Gori. And Stalin is there at the time, but again, he is lucky because he hides in the house of uh, Elizabeth Rebazovich Goginidze, who basically manages to hide Koba, who is still being wanted by the police, as you know, he's essentially escaped from Siberia once and is a massive organizer of mutinies and riots and revolts, and he just hides him in his basement, where the very ingenious policemen of the Tsar just don't check. They just for they forget to take a look there. Now, what's interesting here is that this again plays into the theory that Stalin might have had some friends in the Tsarist police, or maybe was their agent, but... Uh, yeah, essentially Stalin gets lucky once again. While while he's going to Kutaisi and escaping police in Gori, he's, of course, busy writing. So, in May, his brochure, 
shortly about the differences in the party, which basically is one of the central central creations of the Bolshevik way of thinking, and it will be later used in schools while teaching the Marxism classes. He writes the following. <clears throat> yes, the workers are fighting, but they're fighting against their masters. They are struggling against their local powers, their local administrations. They are doing diversions there, over here going to demonstrations and, and creating more riots, over there asking rights from their government, over there doing the boycotts. Uh, some are thinking about political struggles, others are thinking about economical struggles and the like. And uh, here, here comes one of his more interesting ideas, which also sort of reveals... Uh, reveals Stalin's way of thought in this period. Mm. He writes in this uh, this brochure, mm -mm. Scientific socialism without workers' movements. These are empty words who will easily run through the wind. But on the other hand, workers' movements without socialism is empty trade unionist wandering, which at some point, of course, will lead to social revolution, but... It will, it will be only after long, long sufferings and torment. This kind of shows that Stalin just does not even answer to the Menshevik ideas or to trade unionism or to some sort of, um, more liberal, liberal reforms, more quiet, quiet reforms. He is radical through and through. And yeah, this is one of the very first, very actively hardcore Mar Marxist texts which just happened to pop up where he actively calls for armed uprising. Alex de Jong, in his book about Stalin, also comments on these, these views of Stalin and his ideology at this point. He writes that this basically shows Stalin's view of Lenin as the leading proponent of a militant line, and that this also anticipates the strain of military imagery, with all its talk of fronts and armies, because Stalin is using a lot of military analogies in his writing, and that this also will play a major role in Soviet rhetoric and political imagination later on in line. And most importantly, Alex de Jong also notes that, quote, and it reveals something of Stalin's debating style. The opposition's ideas are never refuted. They are brushed aside by rhetorical inv invective. Stalin did not allow himself to get bogged down by debate. Already, he was the master, not the slave, of ideology. And this kind of continues on showing as Stalin will continuously brush aside his political opponents. One show of political activity of Stalin will happen next in the 12th of June, when the gigantic funeral of Alexander Grigorievich Tsulkulidze will happen. 50,000 people shall participate in this funeral. Tsulkulidze, one of the one of the party's leaders, died from meningitis caused by tuberculosis. And my sources say that mm, such funerals Georgia had never seen before. His body, together with the coffin, of course, was carried by people in their arms, and Marcel Yes and other revolutionary songs were played in the background. They carried him on their arms from Kutais to Honi, which is quite a large distance. And, apparently, these were the very first mass funerals for the socialist leaders. Because even even just a year before these events, uh, just the Tsar wouldn't have allowed anything and would have like the tools and the resources to stop such initiatives.
And in these funer, this this funeral basically is the point that shows that the local Social Democratic Party, well, both strains of it by now, I guess, have enough political power and gravitas, so to speak, to just ignore the police that is looking for them. Well, not that Cobb didn't ignore them beforehand, but he pretty much does so now. And, of course, Stalin wastes no time, because even in this funeral of Tsulkulidze, Stalin, again, makes a political speech, which is directed against the Tsarist authorities, and he assaults Mensheviks, even though the Mensheviks are with him in this funeral. After the funeral, Stalin continues his organizational work, and puts a lot of effort in consolidating the power, because... Again, this is the prime time of struggles between the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. This uh, this whole organizational and kind of laying low thing after this mass funeral, which was truly a ginormous event, happens and lasts until the 18th of July, when our old friend Natalia Krupskaya, in the letter to the Caucasus, uh, Caucasus Allied Committee, asks to be sent a brochure of the Stalin about these differences in the party, and she also asks to be regularly sent the newspaper The Fight of the Proletariat. During the summer, going from the decisions of the total third, uh, third conference of the party about the necessities of preparing for an armed uprising, Stalin will also start creating squads of red partisans in Chiatura district. So, you know, writing things, evading police, and at this point, Stalin is, at first, creating armed groups. Not in prison this time, but, you know, we will have some red guerrillas fighting against the Tsarist authorities. And at the beginning of September, this this process is is going forward very quickly, as we read that Stalin is organizing a operation with his newly armed red partisans, and he raids a storehouse in Kutaisi, again, his old prison facility, and he robs 2,000 rifles from the local Tsarist storehouse. He will continue organizing these things until, until you know, this Tsarist manifest of 17th of October 1905. We spoke about this previously, but this was the manifest who, uh, which, which, where Tsar was trying to kind of make sure that order would kind of be be organized around Tsar and he promised some reforms, but it fell down completely. So, in response to this uh, Tsarist manifesto, in 18th and 19th of October, in Baku and Tbilisi, again, Stalin creates new mass demonstrations. And here they also try to, um, try to stop and free some of the arrested people, because the Tsarist police with this manifesto have been trying to kind of you know, institute more order. So Stalin obviously cannot uh, cannot stop talking. So he starts. Uh, so he has this massive speech in this demonstration in Nadazalvedi, again Tbilisi, and here he answer and here answering on his own rhetorical question, "What do we need to really win?" Uh, states his famous line, "Well." To win and to destroy capitalism, we need three things. First thing is arms. Second thing is arms. Third is once and once more, even more arms. 
So, Bolsheviks, once again, carry on uh, going around and recruiting people into, right now, they're called mm, the military units of self-defense. At the same time, Stalin is doing this separate institution because he has his own red partisans, which he has been organizing. But the other Bolshevik leaders are sort of catching up. Even more, even more of these socialist military organizations are spawning all the time. At this point, Stalin actually somehow, with his Bolshevik comrades, manages to actually legalize some of the printing stuff that he has been doing within his party. And with with this legalization in October, Stalin uh, Stalin creates more new new papers around, which he spreads to his followers. This time they are this time they are called simply citizens and to all workers. And he writes, <clears throat> "Revolution is rumbling. Revolutionary peoples of Russia have arisen, have arisen, and they have surrounded the Tsarist government so that they could assault it. Red banners are being raised everywhere. Barricades are being built." People are taking up arms and are assaulting government fortifications. Uh, battle cries of the brave are being heard everywhere. Life is running thick in our veins. We are more alive than ever. The ship of the revolution has taken on full speed the route to freedom. This ship is leading the Russian proletariat. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, proletariat will not, will not split its energy on unreasonable demands. To the Tsarist government, the proletariat has only one demand. So, Stalin is actively, actively calling people to an armed uprising, a, to a ruthless, uncompromising battle with the class enemies. Again, very nice of him, really. <clears throat> Quote, Only on the bones of, explo- of exploiters, uh, the freedom of the people can be built. Only the blood of the exploiters can can sate the thirst of the proletariat. Only then, when the armed nation will will achieve the proletariat dictatorship and will pick up the banners of total revolution, only then we will be able to build our happiness on the bayonets of uh, the Tsarist government. So, this goes on. And in the 20th of November, Stalin... Uh, of course, publishes in the very first, very, very first edition of, of of the Caucasus Workers newspaper, and he wrote writes for this very first edition of this brand new newspaper on the front lines an article, Tbilisi, twentieth of November, nineteen o five. The Great Russian Revolution has begun. We, we are currently in the eve of great events which are worthy of the great Russian revolution. Will the proletariat have enough, have enough forces so that walk this path to the end? Will it have enough forces walk with honor and, and finish this gigantic bloody fight which, which is standing in front of it? Well, of course, we have enough arms. The proletariat thinks this way, and we are bravely and decisively preparing for battle. And this is this kind of interests me because he's talking about preparations for battle all the time. Again, armed uprisings, 
putting putting the Tsar's head on a pike, doing all, all these sorts of things, but at this time, let me remind you that there are multiple groups doing armed uprisings all around the whole place, including the Mensheviks themselves, which are actually more active in 1905 than the Bolsheviks. And even though, though Stalin would really, really like to be kind of the central person of this one, he'll get his chance later on, because 1905 is not completely a Bolshevistic revolution by this point. Greetings, this is Alice. We have a card game now, comrades. Thanks to John Vaught from the Ansivs Games, who made it, because he's a fan of the show, you now have your very own way of experiencing a Soviet black market. It's called Contraband, and it's black market extortion-themed card game set in the USSR. In the game, the KGB is extorting your black market trading ring. If you are the first player to deliver all of the items the KGB demands, then they might look the other way while you escape to the West. The link for this game will be in the show notes. Also, we have t-shirts. They can be bought using the link in our homepage, theeasternborder.lv. Just go to the right side, scroll down, and click the banner. And not only t-shirts now, we have a great mug, the Commie Tears mug, brought to you by popular demand of our listeners. Hot or cold, if you have weird tanky colleagues at work, the kind who leave us one-star reviews who defend Stalin for some reason, you can acquire this mug and enjoy their frustrated looks as they call you names. We listen to what you, dear listeners, say to us, and we try to provide. The mugs and the shirts are made in the USA and shipped from there by HistoryTees.net, run by our fellow colleagues from the Dark Myths Collective. Use the link in our show notes, or the one in the homepage, to get a discount. We get about $2 from each transaction, but that's still way better than if we tried to stalk ourselves, so we're very thankful for our friends. Also, we've found ways how to stop things from being lost in the mail, so we'll be even more active in sending you souvenirs. We gave the new system a try, and everything we sent out last month was delivered. So, if you want goodies and are a Patreon supporter, please do mail us your address. And don't forget about the Ask Uncle Joe questions. And finally, here are some of our Patreons that we would like to say thank you to. Thank you, David, Jeroen, Tyson, Michael, and Abigail, for pledging and donating to our Patreon. And now, back to the show. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both, in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. So, today's question in our Ask Uncle Joe segment is the following. <clears throat> Dear Uncle Joe, could you please explain to us the Western audience, what exactly are the differences between the capitalist system and the socialist system? And Uncle Joe, of course, will answer. You see, the greatest leader of all times and nations, Uncle Joe, in his genius work called The Economical Growth Problems of Socialism in the USSR, writes, quote, The main laws and paradigms of modern capitalistic systems are 1. Ensuring maximal capitalistic profit. 2. Exploiting, ruining, and driving into poverty the vast majority of people in their own capitalist countries, while at the same time enslaving and systematically robbing the peoples of other countries, especially the poorest countries of the Third World. 3. And of course, organizing wars and militarizing the economy of their countries, thus optimizing the profit margins of the military-industrial complex and their own corrupt politicians. The main laws and paradigms of the socialist economies, however, can be formulated the following way according to Stalin. To ensure a continuous exponential growth, both cultural and material, of the whole society, maximizing the needs that can be satisfied for every citizen, constantly improving the production efficiency using ever-improving modern technologies. Uh, further on, he, of course, states that a socialist country needs a strong military, whose needs should be prioritized to defend this continuous growth and to ensure the liberation of the peoples abroad. But please, please, comrades, don't make any conclusions from that, as it's seditious, and nobody would believe you anyway. So, yeah, this was this uh, this was that for this time's Ask Uncle Joe segment. Please do send in your questions. And... Uh, See you next time when we'll be talking about the fun stuff. That is, how Stalin robbed banks, how he organized crime, and um, it's gonna be a bit like a whole like criminal enterprise story. I don't know. I've heard true crime podcasts are very popular these days, and we'll be taking a huge dip into that segment of whole podcast audience. And anyway, I hope you like the show, and do svidanie, tovarishi! Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.